There's no place to escape to. This is the last time. Oh, On the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. Now, guys, it's so nice to be because the last uh, month and a half, let's just say we're the opposite of relaxed, right? What do you like, mean, yeah. man? I got all I'm on so much acid still. Uh, no, I know. And you are <laughs> technically right now, if you could see Kissel is perched on top of the chair like a gargoyle and he is completely shaved. Ooh, I just saw that scene in Ghostbusters yesterday. Yeah. Woo. But guys, let's let's talk about this race because this is a relaxed fit. Uh, yeah. What relaxes us? I feel like it's important for the audience to know. Kissel, what do you do when you kick back and want to let your hair down? I watch Gordon Ramsay on cocaine. I wish it was him on cocaine. It's him versus cocaine in his own restaurant. It's a travesty. I watch, if you take I, cocaine away from the waiters of America, this entire fucking industry will collapse. It's going to collapse. It's ridiculous. Uh, steak videos, Salisbury steak videos, or dogs playing with other dogs, now, perhaps. But Marcus, dog meat, yeah. what do you do? When you want to sit back and you just want to fucking, you want to kick up your heels and you just want, you want to chillax. <laughs> Elden Ring, motherfucker. Is that I don't know, you? buddy. I think you're grain from that game. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck no, man. Yeah, no, it's the most relaxing possible thing that I can do because I'm going off of nicotine right mm. now. Uh, and I usually have to like constantly chew gum or like, you know, just fucking right. jam on a toothpick for hours at a time. Cool. But when I play Elden Ring, I don't need anything at all because my focus is right there, man. I'm fucking cake. I took Radon down with a straight melee build. I fucking did it, man. Okay. okay. Sweet so effect on again, my sword. Not, not exactly relaxed. We got video Fairly games. Not. We got dog videos. We got food. What about you, Henry? Um, oh, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, <laughs> what I, one of my favorite activities recently that really helps me just chill out is um, I love just giving random one-star reviews to anything on the internet. Oh. Products, shows. <laughs> um, I just go out there. I don't know anything about it. Um, I just yeah. go in there. Get a one-star. I have many different accounts. I give a one-star. I say stuff like, this man has my family captive. <laughs> like, I say stuff like that. Just to kind of see where it goes. Just something hot. You know, just something to release. Oh, you know right. what I mean? Um, yeah. And my blowjob machine. All right. Well, welcome to the last <laughs> podcast on the left, everyone. I have been hanging out with Marcus and the recently relieved Henry Zabrowski. Uh. I didn't realize that you got a full machine to uh, fake give you fellatio. They don't need to make these things look like women's heads. No, they you know really that? don't. Because like, I feel like that's superfluous. I'm here for the suction and that's it. All right. Yeah. I, I, I have a wife. Oh, right. yeah. Back when I used a flashlight still, I preferred the one that didn't look like anything at all. I that don't was just need a tube lips. to come in. That's all yeah. I need. Uh, yes. Or we needed. All, we it's all been many know. years since I it's many years since I retired the flashlight, but you know, just saying back we, then. Yeah. We all remember your fuck thermos. Uh really <laughs> fantastic. It kept it come warm. Ooh, so that's good for hours. <laughs> oh. Anyway, total non sequitur to today's episode. This is going to be so fun. Fuck MK Ultra. I mean, you know, think about it. It's all real and everything like that. Have fun with that. But today, we are moving on to something a little bit more out of this world. Mysterioso. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the UFO sighting by the hand or at, by the eyes of Frederick Valentich. <laughs> He's close. He's close, yeah. guys. <laughs> we are really, honestly, we're right back to incredibly mysterious information. Like, this is shit that, like, truly, the deeper I got into this, this story, and as I was reading about it, like, 
at first it seemed kind of like a quick in and out, right? Mm. It's this mysterious disappearance of Frederick Valentich, who is an amateur pilot. Um, and it seemed, you know, but the deeper I, don't I like got into those it, terms, amateur pilot oh, sounds scary. And I, we, as we will cover, he was very amateur. Okay. <laughs> he was very, he dabbled. A little, yeah. He did too much dabbling and he should have done a little bit more concentrating on I, being a pilot. Okay. Uh, yeah. But it's really very mysterious and the circumstances are really strange. And the stuff that comes out of this story are is very compelling. Awesome. Mm. The mysterious disappearance of Australian pilot Frederick Valentich is among the most well-known of UFO encounters in the aviation realm. But while it's not as groundbreaking as, say, the Kenneth Arnold encounter, one of the very first aviation UFO flaps, it is certainly more compelling than the skeptics make it out to be. The Kenneth Arnold encounter, for those of you who don't remember, that's yeah. where the term flying saucers came from. It's the first time mm -hmm. he saw a thing. It was a, it was a back in the day, uh -huh. and he saw a bunch of saucers wobbling, and that's what he called them. He said that they look like sources upon the water. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I know, I'm aware I didn't use the word flap necessarily correctly. I just he like did. to take any opportunity to say the word flap. No, absolutely. No, you were correct. You were correct. Yes. Yeah. Anytime you drop in a flap in these stories, you're allowed to. A flap is normally a series <laughs> of sightings, but it's also exactly. the side of a ufologist. Right. So he coined the term flying saucers. And isn't that interesting? We discuss how people try to rationalize what they're seeing. And he's like, oh, that looks like a little saucer cup. Yes. And that's why the mm -hmm. term exists. Isn't that something? <laughs> Thank it? you. Isn't yes, <laughs> it is. Fascinating. Basically, in 1978, Frederick Valentich was flying a single-engine Cessna in southeastern Australia, and after calling in an encounter with a UFO, he and his plane disappeared <gasps> while he was on the radio with air traffic control. Now, the area in which Valentich disappeared was known for decades as a danger zone, the Bermuda Triangle of Australia. But while the tragedies mostly involved naval vessels, Australia's Bass Strait Triangle was known as a place where ships simply disappeared. It's wow. fucked up. It's very, it's very scary because it's like right it. outside of Tasmania, which is supposedly a UFO hotspot of the mm -hmm. world. Mm. And it's, I guess it's an incredibly deep body of water. Okay. Yeah. And also, as we know, like the uh, UFOs and aliens have been seen by the Aboriginal people of Australia for centuries, if not millennia. Yeah. Much like the Dogon people. Uh, and I had to look that up. And we stopped the podcast so that I could look that up so I could know for certain. <laughs> Research. That's good, though. Making yeah. sure you're getting it right. Yeah. At first, I thought it was Dugong, but then I realized that a Dugong is just a cousin of the manatee. But I was close. Honestly, I can't believe you knew that. That's amazing. Uh, but yes, it's another group of people that have an incredibly close relationship to their sky brothers. I don't know nothing about the manatee. And he's like knowing about their relationships, their cousins, their grandparents. <laughs> My goodness. That's that manatee's wife. <laughs> I have no clue, dude. Well, between 1858 and 1979, six ships vanished in the Bass Strait Triangle, including a British warship with the strangely sexy name of the HMS Sappho that Ooh. disappeared with a hundred <laughs> souls on board. Good Lord. I guess if oh. you get enough guys with their dicks tucked back, eventually it becomes a lesbian sex party. Yes, you know that. <laughs> You know Is that appropriate? You, Is that appropriate? You know, you know that's the British ship. You can see they've actually carved a vagina right into the top there. <laughs> that's nice. Isn't that fun? <laughs> Speaking of flaps. 
Well, that said, wreckage has occasionally been found from ships that have been missing for as long as 100 years. So disappearance in the Bass Strait Triangle doesn't necessarily mean lost to another dimension. Mm. Much like people believe, like, say, like Flight 19 in the Bermuda Triangle, many people believe that they flew straight into a parallel dimension somehow. Or the Malaysian plane. Remember the Malaysian plane They're that still went missing? For CNN's been looking for that for five years. Where's the goddamn plane? Oh, my Lord. <laughs> I'll be screaming that a lot in this episode, too, because we don't know where this damn plane is. And then what's mm-hmm. weird is that the fucking, um, what's his putts? It's like the currents. There's something about the current that also makes it very difficult to find wreckage, where it gets all yeah. mismashed and then sent out to lunch. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's official. <laughs> Even so, though, these disappearances certainly add an extra spooky dimension to the story of Frederick Valentish. Now, not much has been made public about the early life of Fred Valentish, but there are really only two personality characteristics that matter to our story. First, both Fred and his father were ardent and lifelong enthusiasts of UFO lore, which was admittedly in a more larval stage in 1978 than it is now. He had a healthy interest in uh, Mm -hmm. UFOs, and he talked about it a lot with his family, which seems to it does seem to come up quite a bit. It sounds like maybe he might have had an experience as a little boy. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Perhaps this is where the Australians came up with the wonderful boomerang idea. Perhaps technology from the alien gods. That's actually, you just stepped into ethno-racism. You just stepped what? into a deep <laughs> wait, what is, fucking wait a second. problem you did. inside of anthropology, Oh, Mr. my lord. You did. You I did. didn't you mean stepped to. Straight, you stepped straight into the ancient alien's pile of fucking horse dung, my friend. I didn't know everything was a fucking problem. Welcome to the <laughs> op world. Okay. <laughs> Well, in addition to being fascinated with UFOs, Frederick was also a lifelong aviation enthusiast whose only dream was to one day fly airplanes professionally. I want to fly airplanes! That's what he said every day of his life. I want to fly airplanes! Be careful what you wish for. And with this, you have a bit of a chicken and the egg situation going. Either Fred Valentish believed in UFOs because he was fascinated with every constructed object in the sky, no matter what, or... He may have wanted to fly so he could get closer to the UFO world and maybe see something for himself. The former is more likely, but you never know. Well, never his know. dream is that he wanted to fly in the the Australian version of the Air Force. Like, he really wanted to be a soldier and he wanted to fly up there and he wanted to shoot all the Nazis. <laughs> which is like, it's far from then because it's 1978. Right. So I don't know why he thought now is the time I'm joining World War II, <laughs> even though it's like you know 30 years over. Were the Australians involved <laughs> in Vietnam at all? They watched it. Okay. (laughs) But either way, Fred Valentish's dreams of becoming a well-respected pilot were unfortunately not in the cards because despite his lofty ambitions, evidence shows that Fred just wasn't very good at piloting aircraft. I didn't know you could fail all of these tests so much and so often (laughs) and still be allowed to rent a plane and fly yeah. it in the sky. I, I, of course, it's a relaxed fit. So it's like, oh, this will be interesting. Right. I listened to the Coast to Coast episode. There's a couple of, there's an old in search of by Leonard Nimoy and his mustache phase. He's nice. what he, he looks very dashing in it. And I was like, oh, that'll be it. And then, of course, what do I find? A 315 page PDF of the collection, essentially the Australian version of a FOIA request into this case. And what it reveals is how often he failed these tests and how often he sort of 
I love Fred. I'm not blaming Fred. Um, we might need to blame Fred. But he said to people, it's sort of like a white lie uh-huh. about how he did pass all of these tests. But he didn't? Uh, no. Huh. And people kept asking his mentor, like his pilot mentor, who might have been half bird. He asked him, like, <laughs> how'd those tests go? And Fred's like, great. Oh, they went great. I got Uh-oh. an A. You know what I mean? Like, and like you got an A-F. You know what I mean? Wow. Like, you got on the F in it. Well, in his late teens, Fred was rejected from the Royal Australian Air Force because he didn't meet the qualifications. So he went into the RAAF training corps and had logged 150 hours of flight time by the time of his disappearance. Problem was, during those 150 hours, he'd actually been involved in a disturbing amount of potentially disastrous incidents. One time. He's a bit of a Mr. Magoo. All right. Well, maybe he shouldn't be flying a plane. (laughs) No. One time, he strayed into a controlled zone in Sydney, meaning he very well could have crashed into a passenger jet. That's just fantastic. <laughs> I always me. love feeling the comfort. Oh, I like to be I. My name's Fred, and I'm an accidental terrorist. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that dude in New York drove his plane into the tower, the former baseball player, and it's oh, like, yeah, buddy, you don't want to do that. Yeah, it was right after 9-11, it right? It was really bad timing. Yeah. yeah. Two other times, he was cited for intentionally flying into a cloud, which, again, could have crashed him into another plane because the type of single-engine planes he was allowed to fly, they didn't have onboard radar. What is he, a Doberman? He's just like, there's a cloud, and then he just goes for it? What is happening? <laughs> He's I, I, curious. I, I understand the idea of like seeing a cloud and be like, I want to go through that cloud, but then like, I'm a child, and he's a pilot. So mm-hmm. he really needs to like not do what he wants to do as a child. I'll tell you what, the only difference between a child and a pilot is a hat and a plane. <laughs> as long as you can get in there, you're a pilot. As soon as, when you're in the chair, it's like it's uh, you it's, are you're now a pilot yeah, officially. That's true. Yeah. Not surprisingly, these offenses, particularly the cloud attacks, they were actually serious enough where Fred was considered for prosecution. <laughs> cloud what? attacks. <laughs> I gotta get these clouds What are you in for? Well, you see those goddamn clouds up there? Yeah, I try to fuck with them Yeah, yeah guess what, yeah Me too Because them clouds are the ones making me gay Oh, Isn't that nice? But every time they let him off with a warning And even with these black marks on his record Fred was granted a private pilot's license In May of 1978 Just five months before he disappeared at the same time, Valentish was still trying to take another route to a pilot career. But when he tried being a commercial airline pilot, he failed all five of the subject exams. And not only that, he failed all five of them twice in the same month. Just hey, man. Hey, stop. I'm a professional improver. And I've failed any sort of class I've ever taken. I didn't take improv class, okay? So maybe this is all about how, yeah, yeah. It's about being DIY. It's about putting together a pilot's career for your fucking self. Fuck what all these commercial airline people say about how you're not fit to fly and we can't give you a 727. When it comes down to it, man, go fucking take one. I kind of want you to know how to fly. (laughs) Pull yourself up by your own pilot bootstraps. I don't think that's right. put yourself in the sky. But sometimes you just can't keep a dream down, no matter how many flashing red lights are telling you that this is not what you were meant to do. Yeah. And on October 21st, 1978, Fred Valentish took off 
for the last time. My father's birthday. Nice. Yeah. Now, the flight plan took him 250 miles from Victoria to King Island, but no one is really sure why he took this flight. He told some people he was going to go pick up some very brave friends, while others (laughs) thought that he was going to go to King Island to buy crayfish. Later investigation, however, found that both of these statements were untrue. Or rather, Mm. no evidence was found that either were true, which is an important distinction. Yes. I thought the crayfish were going to be his friends. Well, I also did some heavy research into what the Australians call crayfish. Because yeah. here in America, we call them crawdads, and they're tiny little sea bugs, right? Not and you a eat fan, them. But that's the whole, okay. I absolutely love them. I know. You got to suck the head. Despise them. They're disgusting things. I've uh, never understood the fascination with them, but that's okay. Never got yeah. it. They're gross. In Australia, because there's also the sausages in there and the corn cobs. Well, and the you are just talking about something mm, that's much different. Very delicious. Yeah. Now, crayfish in Australia. Them's lobsters, friend. Oh, those are lobsters. Mm. Yeah, fuckers. Oh, okay. Mm. And so they fucking switch it up on us again. What was he really looking for? But there is some evidence in here Mm. that I will talk about that I do find interesting. I think there's a bit of a human element, and there is is some shit here that we'll unpack as we go. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, while his motivation for going to King Island, while it may seem trivial, it does play into later possible explanations for what happened. Concerning Fred's conveyance on the day of his disappearance, he was flying a 182L Cessna that he'd rented from the Southern Air Service. To give a size of scale, this Cessna was a light, four-seat, single-engine plane. In other words, it was tiny. And from what I can tell from playing Microsoft Flight Simulator, these planes are somewhat easy to lose control of. Although I might just be really fucking bad at that game. Yeah, I love that game too. And I tell you what, if the U.S. government had any tap into my data of what I I was like when I played the Microsoft Flight Simulator... I would be put on a no-fly list All because right. I always flew it into buildings, even as a little boy. I love well, blowing I mean, stuff up on the ground and attacking people and never thought about flying safely, no. even once. But that's the video game. You're allowed to be creative like that. That yeah. doesn't mean you're grown uh, doesn't mean you're going to be grown up, grown up to be a domestic terrorist or anything like that. Nah, man. No. Nah, man. Because I ain't no, no Bud Light. <laughs> no, <you're laughs> yeah, not. I'm somebody else. But no, this is uh, it's like the size of a Toyota, right? I don't know. If you're if you're a pilot, let us know. Sounds scary. It's small. Now, other pilots who were at the airport just before Valentish took off, they said that he seemed a bit nervous. But they assumed that this was because most new pilots get nervous before a flight. However, according to Fred's father, Guido Valentish, Fred was becoming increasingly worried that UFOs might attack him while he was in the sky, which does lend credence towards the skeptical opinion that Fred just thought he saw a UFO and crashed the plane because he was distracted by a delusion. I... I'm beginning to think, though, that he had been seeing UFOs and that he had had because he did see this thing before and he did weirdly become obsessed with it. But Guido also kind of fed this, too, because Guido was super into it. And his name's Guido. Um, And so that also makes him kind of sus. And he's there like he's in Australia. But they were both obsessed with this and they kind of fed off of each other. And I think all the reason why he was nervous was because it was a night flight and he had Mm -hmm. some experience. Technically, he was approved for a night flight, but this was mm. probably only his second or third night flight 
to go yeah. up. So okay. he was very like it was the he had he hadn't had a lot of practice. He just got his instrument rating for for night flights like a couple of weeks before. He had not done a lot. So so far we really haven't set up any sort of mysterious case. Now it just really just seems a bad a bad pilot ended yeah. up in <laughs> Ariel's garden. But I will say you're gonna see it does get mysterious. Yeah, it does. Live from your grave. A roast as dark as the night. Perfect for fueling the cryptid research and mad ravings required for your podcasting. Don't mind the red eyes. He's just trying to warn you of the bridge. The bridge. Finally, from the caffeine-addled brains of Spring Hill Jack Coffee and last podcast on the left, we bring you Mothman's Red Eye Blend. Yes, delicious Panama beans. Go to lastpodcastmerch.com to order yours today. <laughs> So Valentich's plan was supposed to stop in Cape Otway before continuing to King Island. And at 7 p.m., Fred contacted air traffic control in Melbourne and told them that he had Cape Otway in sight, flying at 4,500 feet. But just six minutes later, Valentich contacted air traffic control again and asked if there was any known aircraft flying below 5,000 feet because an unidentified craft seem to be following him. Uh-oh. And this is where it really gets mysterious. Now, the the actual recording of this air traffic control call is out there on the internet, but it is very difficult audio to listen to, so we can't really feature it on the show. Like, we won't be able to hear it. You, I had to actually, like, put my head up against the laptop, which I'm certain is helping my brain, mm-hmm. to really absorb what it was they were saying. But it does start to get really wiggity here because he says, like, okay, there's something behind me because there is military space here. And Mm -hmm. he asks to check, are there any military operations going on right now? Are there any military airplanes in sight? And they're like, no. And he's like, because I got this thing right behind me that's like real big. That is Mm -hmm. some scary stuff. The air traffic controller responded that nothing could be seen on his radar, so he had Valentish describe what he was seeing. From what Fred said, the craft had four bright lights that looked like landing lights, and it was approaching from due east while seemingly playing a game, flying at over two to three times Fred's speed. He straight up said, I think it's playing a game with me. Here's a little tiny reading of what Mm. he described as he was flying. Okay. It's flying past. It's a long shape. Open microphone for three seconds. I cannot identify more than open microphone for three seconds. Before me right now, Melbourne. It's right before me. Melbourne, it seems like it's stationary. What it's doing right now is orbiting, and the thing is, is just orbiting on top of me. Also, it's got a green light and sort of metallic. It's all shiny on the outside. Whoa, that's freaking crazy, dude. Even if he uh, was a good pilot, he'd be freaking the hell out. So, I mean, I mean it makes sense. That he's we'll get into a... the uh, we'll get into the full like skeptics explanation later, but there sure. is there is, and, and there is yes. speculation there is speculation that uh, he freaked out because he wasn't a good pilot. Oh, uh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And there's also yeah, speculation yeah. that he was flying upside down. And he was looking at his reflection in the ocean. <laughs> that is actually an explanation. <laughs> but they also said his plane what? would not be able to last longer than three seconds. That type of Cessna would um would what would it sputter out? It would literally shut yeah. down if. Okay. Yeah, it's got a, what do they call it, a gravity fuel system. So if it went upside down immediately, like you're dead if you fly that plane upside down. Uh, but that's the thing is that his description of the aircraft is, it's why you, ufology is so much fun these days. And it's one of the reasons why Fred's story can't be wholeheartedly dismissed as a simple fuck up. 
Fred said that the aircraft was oblong, it had a green light, it was sort of metallic and shiny on the outside, and that sounds a hell of a lot like the craft that's been described by pilots for decades. And those pilots' claims were finally confirmed by hard video evidence of UFOs that have been released over the last few years. It all matches up. That's what makes disclosure so fucking insane, is that it all matches up with shit these people have been reporting for fucking decades, since the 50s. I know what I saw! (laughs) I know what I saw! (laughs) Just after Valentish described his UFO, it vanished. And to Fred's credit, he did not immediately start screaming that he'd just seen a UFO. Instead he first assumed that he'd seen a military craft because he had asked, as soon as it disappeared, he asked, are there any military craft in this area? Is there any project planned in this area right now? And just when air traffic control told him that no such craft was present, nor were any exercises being done in the area, Valentish said over the radio that his UFO had just come back into sight and was approaching him from the southwest. At that same time, Valentish also reported that his plane was, quote-unquote, rough idling, which means that it was sputtering out. Yeah, that's on me on minute five of having sex. Yeah, rough (laughs) sputtering. Rough sputtering. Rough idling. Rough idling. Rough idling. The last report about the UFO that Valentich gave was that the craft was hovering above him, and his last words just before the radio went silent were, it is not an aircraft. Yeah, I'll Whoa. read it. Can I read it from the actual read description? It. Go ahead. This is It's not an aircraft. No. So they're like, the engine is rough idling. I've got it set at 23, 24, and the thing is coughing. It's coughing. Roger, what are your intentions? My intentions are uh to go to King Island, uh, Melbourne. That strange aircraft is hovering on top of me again. Open microphone for two seconds. It is hovering, and it's not an aircraft cuts out and then this yeah. noise can be Whoa. heard on the actual recording you hear this noise it sounds like it's a metallic screeching is how it's described and it goes on for 17 seconds i'm gonna black out 17 seconds is how long it goes on for and then it just disconnects now it was assumed immediately that Fred Valentish had simply become discombobulated during a night flight. He began flying upside down, which is apparently possible in single-engine planes flying at night, and he fell into a death spiral. Because it's completely pitch black out there. It's completely pitch black right. out there. You are uh you it's very, very easy to get disoriented yeah. in the 3D space of flying an airplane. Absolutely. Yeah. Three days later, however, once the transcript was released. Fred's father, Guido, made a public statement saying that he hoped his son was abducted by aliens because the alternative was death, which ain't the worst assumption based on Fred's flight record. And I got to tell you, I didn't make this <laughs> puppet and have an angel turn him into a boy for him to get abducted by the aliens. It's one of the stranger Australian <laughs> accents, but it checks out, Guido. My brother Gepetto, he makes Aww. a little boy who cannot lie, and then that's why his nose is seven feet long when I ask him, did a Gepetto touch you on the downstairs, Pinocchio? Oh. Did he touch you? Well, all right. <laughs> A deleted scene, perhaps. <laughs> Although Pinocchio yeah, was abused. Yeah. He was abused. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Why do you say Pinocchio was abused? Who is Pinocchio? Oh, that boy by? island. You yeah. don't think those Well, the boy, boy island, island is something different altogether. Yeah, he gets, did get turned yeah. into a donkey. But is that abuse or is that just fun? Is that just good, clean fun? Well, you I, want to be a donkey. I mean. I would like to be a donkey. I wouldn't mind being a donkey. 
uh, I think the role is already filled. Um, well, uh, yeah, he was abused, man. He didn't, he didn't ask to be uh, he didn't ask to be born or anything. And then he's made of wood. Birth is abuse. Yeah. In yeah. A way. And then he's like, every time you lie, your nose gets longer. And it's like, well, how is he going to survive in America? I don't know. <laughs> Well, as it turned out, Fred hadn't just told his father about his UFO fascination. Apparently, Fred had also told his girlfriend that if a UFO did come to Earth, he'd go with it. But he added a romantic caveat that he wouldn't leave without her. And that's how you know he's truly a <laughs> ufologist, because I have to have the same conversation with Natalie, because she said that once it came up and I had to do the thing where I was like, yeah, if they come, I'm going to go right into the spaceship. And then I was like, but I'd never leave without you, baby. Like, I had to make sure, <laughs> well, what, I had to think about it, because you have to add that tag, always been like, but with you, baby, there's no way yeah. that well, you're what secondary. If, what if she doesn't want to go? She's going to have to go. She's going to have to go. Okay, <laughs> fantastic. Because half my butt belongs to her, and if the aliens uh, want to probe me, they're going to have to ask her permission. All right. Yeah. Well, even so, this girlfriend didn't believe in the UFO story at all and became firmly convinced that Valentish probably turned back to land after his engine trouble began, because that's what he told her he'd do in a situation just like this. However, land searches turned up not a shred of evidence for this theory either, and multiple searches of the sea turned up not even an oil slick. And oh, you see no. this within that re that FOIA request. Like, if you look at these documents, like, they, they do have, they did an incredibly thorough search for him and they could not find any sort of like because that's what you kind of look for the telltale signs are puddles of fucking fuel like you're looking right. maybe the fuel can tell you where the thing is it was all dissipated they found it they found nothing yeah all right. however five years later an engine cowl flap was found off the coast of fenders island which was indeed a part of a cessna 182l with registration numbers that were within the boundaries of fred's plane and this to skeptics is definitive proof of the crash theory so now we're here this is called what we call the full diaper part of this story because we got the skeptics in there All and they're right. like kind of taking it out on people there I'm just sitting in my peak everybody Mocking the skeptical mind, perhaps. Yeah, if you use summons or, or fucking ashes, you're not a real fucking net from software player. <laughs> Fender Island, of course, one of the louder islands, uh, given the electric guitars. The guitars. Wow. Yes. Oh, the guitars. Right, right I wouldn't want to be. I wouldn't want to be neighbors uh, to Fender Island. Oh wow! Well, they're wow. All right near the, their... the Gibson Peninsula. Yes. Oh yes. my god! Yes. That's... Yes. Near the Ibanez the... uh, Archipelago. I'm just so happy to be here for this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I am. I'm just, we are breaking new ground here. Yes, indeed. <laughs> now, the skeptic's view of what happened to Fred Valentish was put forth by a United States Air Force pilot named James Magaha. And right there by his side was a professional wet blanket named Joe Nickel, who basically makes a living pissing on paranormal parades. Yeah. Bigfoot's just a homeless guy, and you're dumb. And there's no one who loves me. Don't yell at me. I'm a Magaha from a long line of Magahas. Magaha, of course, is my birth name. My uncle, he said he's a young Uncle Magaha. My grandfather, when he made uh, my father, he said, Magaha, uh, at him and my I grandmother, and that's how we got the name. Why do you ask? I really had a Magaha moment yeah? the first time I had black pudding. That's really funny because it's about a Scottish aha moment. Oh, I get it. Very intriguing. Uh, a Magaha moment. Everyone always knows the best jokes have to be explained. That's how you know it's comedy. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, Magaha and Nichols said that the four lights seen by Fred at the start of the sighting were actually the planets Venus, Mars, and Mercury, mm. along with a bright star named Antares. And apparently conditions on that night were perfect to see these lights in such a way that might appear to be a landing strip. I think that's dumb. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean it's, Stars I'm, ain't a landing strip. Like, we know, right? We know that. Right. I mean, it does seem a little strange. Huh? He's describing an aircraft, and like it could be the stars, but those are pretty different things. That's what I'm thinking. Well, they also think that the green light seen by Valentish was probably just a reflection of one of his instrument lights in the windows of his airplane, which is why it seemed to hover next to him. In other words, according to the skeptics, Fred panicked about UFOs when he should have been focused on keeping his plane in the air. Yes, but I would posit, what if, like, because now we know. Things like this are harassing some of our pilots. It is mm -hmm. now, we are seeing these reports every other day. They are seeing real, all types of crap. Black triangles, cylinders, orbs. They're seeing this shit all the time. And now, like, you know, a lot of these, especially if you're in a big, like, corporate airliner, we know that you the human part comes when you land and when you take off. The rest of the time, you're kind of in an autopilot scenario, so you have a lot of time to observe. And what if fucking valentish like my postulate is that he fucking freaked out when he saw one of these things and was like oh and then yeah. crashed into the bash straight like a like yeah. a uh un, an unwilling kamikaze pilot mm. well other explanations speculate that fred valentish might have staged his own disappearance because melbourne police received reports of a light aircraft making a mysterious landing not far from Cape Otway right after Valentish was supposed to have disappeared. There's also speculation that Valentish might have used the UFO story as a cover for suicide, but this is also unlikely, because from what I know about suicide, people rarely, if ever, go into the day of their death thinking that they're just going to have fun with it. Right. I mean, that's how I plan to... But Fred Valentich also, there were plans set in place. He was supposed to get there. So one thing, he was supposed to get these crawfish, red crayfish, whatever. Yeah, where, where, who's, I just feel bad for everyone who was expecting this great lobster feast. Sure. And then all absolutely. of a sudden it's like, what happened to the guy who's going to get the lobster? Aliens. The aliens abducted and be like, are you fucking kidding me? Uh, seriously? You're going to tell me once, <laughs> this happens once every 10 years and it's on Lobster Sunday. Yes, yes. That and that's a, that is a seafood crime. That is a crime. If you're supposed to show up with the lobster and you don't, you should be hung. Absolutely. But he also, so, but the thing is, local fishermen said he never ordered the crayfish ahead of time. So that's mysterious, mm -hmm. right? But then mysterious. part of it thinks it could have been impulse. Who knows? He could have showed up and done it. And then everybody also says their points towards the suicide is because when in King, on King Island, the people that he was supposed to pick up we're not there waiting for him, right, to go mm -hmm. on the plane. But I think that the human element factor here is because Fred Valentish wasn't necessarily the pilot you want to be with. Yeah. Right? Like, he's not the guy. He makes Harrison Ford look competent. Yeah, I think that they <laughs> just decided maybe if they were going to meet him, be like, Let's just see if he shows up and then he'll call us. Yeah. Or like, we don't need to go there. Like, maybe we'll just kind of see it. And they do the thing where, like, it's it's always fun to make a plan, but it's not really fun to complete the plan. All everyone has to do is just all flake at the same time. So this is 1978, correct? Yeah, maybe people yes. were so less flaky how in many Has Buddy Holly died yet? 
His leaner yeah, skater yeah, yeah. died. 20 years before. Yeah, yeah. 24 okay. years before, 23. Uh, Aaliyah uh, has not died yet, though. No. Um, so, but people do know. If there's such a thing as time. Well, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so people do know, like, flying single-engine planes with someone who is not competent can lead to death. Like, people are aware, like, Patsy Cline is dead. Like, oh, yeah. people know yeah. what's kind of up, Kobe right? Kobe tried to make that helicopter oh. pilot have the Mamba mentality against no. his will and fly in the middle of a the storm. The helicopter didn't have the Mamba mentality, and that was the problem. Yes. However, even though the flap and the lights and the stars seem to wrap up the entire disappearance into a neat little package... There were people on the ground who tell tales that scooch the story back to the other direction. A UFO group out of Phoenix called the Ground Saucer Watch said that they are in possession of a photo from the day of Valentish's disappearance that was taken by a plumber named Roy Manifold during his vacation to Australia. Now, is the Ground Saucer Watch, <laughs> is it funny to think about it? Because Is it because they are... They are so heavy, they have to remain groundbound. <laughs> I or did is think... it funny that they just don't want to go up in the sky, which is where the UFOs are, right? I did envision them looking like the round folks from Alice in Wonderland. Mm -hmm. You know, the ones... Like, <laughs> yes, yes. Tweedledee and Tweedledum. <laughs> yeah. yeah, with binoculars. Yeah. Right from your grave. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here with Henry Zabrowski. Yeah, it's me, man. Yeah, bro. Henry Zabrowski is smoking some of that sweet last podcast of the left, babe. So go out there and purchase yourself some. I hope you enjoy it. We have sativa, we have indica, and we have a hybrid. And I have to tell you, from my personal experience, they are wonderful. Super tasty live resin. You really get the delicious weedy taste, which is what I like. And yes. three different experiences. You go to your local vape store and get it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. We absolutely love you. Can't wait to see you on the road and get that vape. Put it in your brain and have a good time. And if you want us at your favorite weed store, give them a call and ask for them by name. Absolutely. Last podcast on the left, it's weed. Hail yourselves, everyone. Hail Satan. Now, while the photo that was taken by Roy Manifold during his vacation in Australia, why it isn't necessarily what you call breathtaking, it could be perceived to be a fast-moving object exiting the water near the Cape Otway Lighthouse, very close hmm. to where Fred Valentish disappeared. And, and, and the Tasmanian waters have a lot of examples of USOs. USOs hmm. are a big part of this this entire story within the Bass Strait. The Bass Strait. USO triangle. being unidentified submersible object. And of the course, audience doesn't fucking get it now. If they don't, <laughs> if they can't keep up with the acronyms now, then they've learned nothing. They followed nothing. Well, let's not forget the USO comedy tours. You can go perform for the troops. So perhaps they were thinking. They're never thinking of that. The audience maybe. is never thinking of the USO show unless they're currently in the military. And then yeah. we want to say thank you for your service. Absolutely. You for your service. And we would love to do a USO tour, especially if we were ever, if like if you're stationed in Hawaii, yeah. we'll perform love for you. To go. If you love are to go. stationed in Berlin, we will go hang out love with you. Love to go. We yeah, have this absolutely. great new, our new show. It's all called How Project Monarch Can Help You. And I'm really excited <laughs> to take it to the troops. Absolutely. According to Ground Saucer Watch, the so-called plumber's photo showed a bona fide unknown flying object of moderate dimensions, apparently surrounded by a cloud-like vapor-slash-exhaust residue. Hmm. The picture, however, is quite blurry and is by no means definitive. It's a picture. Yeah, certainly a p is a picture. But it's one of those things where, you know, if you get one wiggity thing, whatever. If you get 20 wiggity things, then you might have something there. Right. right? 
And this was not the only ground sighting around the time of the Valentich disappearance. A bank manager named Colin Morgan and his wife said they saw a glowing object hovering in the sky for nearly an hour near the town of Galong. 35 miles southwest of Melbourne. And I did look it up. I did. It's spelled. It looks like it's it's called Geelong. I think it's Galong. I looked it up to make sure I wouldn't get any shit. And I think I said it wrong anyway. Oh, you ah, did your right. best. It's okay. That's all we can do. Well, Mr. Morgan said that the craft seemed to be cruising above them as they drove down the highway. It was bright and had green flickering lights at mm. one end. Okay. Much like the light Valentish reported. And 20 other people reported green lights in the sky on the night of Fred's disappearance. Damn. Now, these reports were deemed unreliable by some because they were made after Valentish's disappearance had been reported. And it was assumed that all of these people were just trying to make themselves a part of the story. Yes, there was a big UFO flap after it was announced that he was gone. And a lot of people reported and, and called in saying that they were seeing objects in the sky. And then you don't really know whether or not is it inspired by the story right. or is, is it more people looking at the sky? Like, I think that's mm-hmm. what it is, too. And then half the time, if you look at the sky, you don't know kind of the various objects, so you can't really identify them. And so there's probably going to be a glut of UFO visions and, and sightings after something like this. Okay. And yeah, that very well, it very well may be true for some of the witnesses that they just wanted to be a part of the story. But well, wouldn't that also play into the whole idea of the psychic, you know, the collective unconscious, just because this maybe the fact that this person saw it brings it to light. And absolutely. now all of a sudden people are seeing it. But mm-hmm. before you can see it, you have to believe that you can see it. But it's also that phenomenon when you find out something for the first time, then you see it everywhere. It's, it's when Bader you, Meinhoff. It's, it's when you uh, meet uh, Bob, the the friend that, that your wife has been seeing, but then you realize, like, oh my god, they're having sex with each other. Oh, it's like that yes. moment. It's like, ah, oh, I yes. see it's the cuck threshold. Yes, the cuck threshold. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or when you buy a car and you notice how many other models of that car are out on the road, where before you didn't see any, and now you think, like, oh my god, everybody owns a fucking Subaru. Do you know that the Subaru is Japanese for the uh, for not for Pelican, um, but it is for the uh, the Pleiadian star system, which is why it has three stars on it, which is actually the stars that are located. It's what it's connected to. Maybe you think about what's the real fucking story. What's the real history? To be honest, of if, Subaru? if aliens do come back or if aliens do come to Earth, I think Ween would be their favorite band. Much like, <laughs> yeah. of course, the one who owns the Subaru loves Ween. That's right. But the thing is that there was a primary witness who did tell others about his sighting on the night of Fred Valentich's disappearance. And he told people the next morning, but he decided not to report it publicly after his story was met with disbelief and ridicule. The night of Fred's disappearance, a man who still refuses to use his own name. My name is Dr. Raven. Dr. Raven. (laughs) Birth name, Dr. Raven? See? So your first name is Doctor. Yes, with two Ks. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Very nice. Well, this witness said that while driving home that night, he and his two nieces saw both the lights of a small aircraft and a very large green light traveling directly above the plane, on the night of Valentish's disappearance. Hmm. Now, it has always been assumed by authorities that Valentish was over the water when he made his call because that's where he was supposed to be. But remember, Fred wasn't a great pilot. And he apparently didn't show up on the radar in Melbourne any more than the alleged UFO did. Oh, my God. Now, on the very night that the witness and his nieces saw this amazing sight, 
he told his wife what they had seen. But what did she do but laugh in his fucking face? Wow. Oh, you gotta believe. I know what I saw. <laughs> wow. It's going to break up another marriage. UFOs do that. It, absolutely. You got to be strong. You got to be able to handle it. The next morning at work, this witness told his coworkers. And they also made fun of him and probably called our witness a fucking stangy dongo or some other Whoa, nonsense Australian a, insult. You don't know what you just said. Stangy dongo. <laughs> you don't know what you just said. Yeah. We might be banned in Australia we, from calling somebody a new, an SD because that's the SD word. Wow, stangy you know dongo. And if I did, then that proves my fucking point because I made up stangy dongo. Whoa. I don't know what the, I totally made that up. So if I accidentally said some sort of horrible Australian slur, that's on them. Whoa, this is getting to gnome chat. Chomsky, the actual dialectics conversation. Yes, indeed. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Linguistics, how they alter and change between See? religions and cultures. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> like, what's a sweater and a sweatshirt? What's the difference? Apparently, a whole world, if you look on menswear. Absolutely. <laughs> what's interesting about this witness's story, though, is that he couldn't have known about Fred Valentich's experience because none of it was made public until days later. But even after all the details were released, our witness kept his mouth shut to avoid further ridicule, which probably came anyway from both his wife and his co-workers once the Fred Valentich story came public. You can just see it going to work. It's already so exhausting. You have to put your khakis on and your finest weird shoes. And then every time you go to the kitchen, maybe get a little coffee. Yeah. Someone's cooking fish in the microwave and then you get made fun of. Oh, of course. Yeah. Like, here goes alien boy. All he does is open up his butthole to the sky. Look at him. Hungry for it. Looking for a scrape. This is how you have an office shooting. Um, but there is. If you, <laughs> That's why I'm not going back. No. Uh, but if you read it. This file, like like I did, unfortunately, like if you really go through all of the stuff, there's a lot of pain here uh, because the search for him was incredibly thorough. And his father, Guido, who did have an Italian accent, he showed up day after day after day after day. And they kept giving him whatever Aww. material they could because, again, because it was all next to a military base, a lot of this shit had to go under like but we couldn't talk about it. A lot of this is about like there's proprietary information inside of all of these calls that no one could know. And they finally let him hear his son's last words. But he kept the UFO thing going too, Ugh. truly out of a like while I do believe it is strange, especially his last words. But and his last words are, it's not an aircraft. It's not an aircraft. That's his final, final statement. Yes. Oh, wow. A and the thing that they, when they try to analyze the final sounds, because it sounds like either, it sounds like engine noise. It sounds like he might be yelling and screaming over it that it's been scrambled by by, by the transmission stuff. But his father kind of kept the UFO storyline, much like he said originally at the top of the episode, out of pure just grief and hope that one day he would be found. And it gives his yeah. uh, death some purpose, yeah. I suppose, also. It also actually it just hit me that his last words were, it's not an aircraft, because it could be, it could very well maybe him saying, it's not an aircraft, it's my instrument light. Oh, God, I'm going to oh, die, I'm, I'm going to die. I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying. <laughs> yeah, it might be, it might be, but, he yeah. sounded, but if, yeah. you, if you listen to it, it's fucking freaky mm -hmm. as hell. That is a good yeah. point. But he was at least aware. He wasn't like, it's a pineapple. Like, he knew yeah. that it was something weird. Something very weird. Mm -hmm. Well, the witness that I was just talking about, he happened to discuss his sightings with a local policeman who passed the info to Guido Valentich. And Guido told an ufologist who interviewed the witness and made the sighting public in a paper that hardly anyone read. Yes. Now, naturally, there's also a bit of conspiracy to this story in the true sense of conspiracy in that multiple people work in conjunction with each other to either break the law or, in this case, 
conceal a secret. This is about the crayfish. <laughs> Again, oh, it comes no. back to the crayfish. It's said that there was actually more to Valentish's final transmission than was released to the public, but key elements were deleted in the public version by powers unknown. In true big lobster. In the final transcript, there's a supposed break in transmission just before Valentich gave his final words. Final words, of course, it is hovering and it is not an aircraft. The claim is that there was a more vivid description of the aircraft before this, but an anonymous source at the Department of Transport said that that description was cut. But don't worry, if you go through the file, you can actually see the description that they just made up inside of the UFO magazine that this article is citing, where it's like they basically say in this whole thing, they make up a whole description that he made. We don't know if he did, because also what Mm -hmm. we also now know about the release of people seeing these types of crafts is that this shit happens fast. Mm -hmm. Like they don't, they they linger for a second, but you really don't have a long time to describe, especially if you also are quickly plummeting into the bash straight as you're describing it. Right. Yeah. And interestingly, it, I mean, this really could be a sign that maybe it was a military aircraft after all. And the sure. description was cut because the craft was a part of a top secret project. Now, the going theories by ufologists is that either Valentich's aircraft was destroyed by a UFO or both he and the plane were scooped up and abducted or Valentich was taken alone and the engine cow flap was found and there were 17 seconds of transmission after Fred's last words because he was scooped up and the plane was left to crash into the sea. There's an article from the Herald Sun in Melbourne that says, don't worry, out there. Yes, this is from 2014. But there's a farmer who said that he might have seen the airplane that Valentich was flying connected to a UFO while it was leaking fuel. And yes, he has not said his name and and they can't find the farmer because he said Uh it one time in passing to somebody else, but he did see it and said (laughs) it. And you know farmers don't lie except about how much they're farming, what they're producing, and what they're farming because they have to lie to the government to get certain subsidies. Absolutely, mm-hmm. as they should. Of course, Monsanto, we can go into it. This is Neil I love Young that Quarter. Italian man. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. But you can always trust a farmer. I think that that's a great point. But that's another eyewitness sighting, and that's interesting. That comes from 2014. This story is still alive. Yep. But while it is most likely that Fred Valentich just crashed into the sea, oh. it is nonetheless compelling that his description of the UFO, along with the descriptions of those on the ground, match what we see in real UFO footage today. You know what I could see from the perspective of the lobsters? You can just see them clapping when the plane crashes. We live another day, yes. lobster man. <laughs> it's, I really do think it's it's very compelling, only because of his description. Because, like, again, if we didn't have what we have. Like in terms of the soft disclosure movement, you do. I really would think that this story would kind of slide into the past and no one give a shit. But now yeah. that we really do have footage of what people are seeing and the reports are coming out more and more and more like I, I am on the I really do. My theory is that he saw something, he freaked out and he crashed and that yeah. it, it's just it just blew his mind and he lost control over the plane because he was not good at it. Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty good theory. Yep, it's just the idea of crashing in a plane. It doesn't sound very fun, but to be honest, he died doing what he loved, which seems to be flying horribly. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He should not have been up there. Fly a plane no. like no one's watching. That's, that's it. What and that's what today. he did. He really let it loose. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and if a guy is going to do that, if he is just going to fly horribly, Australia really is the place to do it. Because if you do crash, chances are you aren't going to hit shit. When we went from Perth to Sydney, it's all ocean. Yeah. That's like, I mean, I get it, man. You die in there. You dry, You dive in there. You're gone forever. Oh, yeah, man. Those welcoming waters. It seems so nice out oh. there, pristine blue waters, imagining what your corpse is like down amongst the fishes. It's kind of fun. How long do bones stay in the water? Marcus? Like They uh, actually, they, they disintegrate pretty fast. I don't know exactly how long, but there's a reason why like the Titanic isn't full of skeletons uh, when they found mm, it. Like they were fucking battle gone. with that shit. <laughs> yeah, they did find yeah. that little necklace though, didn't they? That was very yeah. nice. That was fake. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode on Frederick Valentich. Yes, he is a man who gave his life. For what? Now that I, I mean, now that I think about it, I am thinking about it more. Is that I think the skeletons down below in the Titanic, I think those disintegrated quickly because of the water pressure, because it is so much stronger underwater. Oh. I think the deeper you go into the sea, the faster a skeleton will disintegrate and be crushed by water pressure. But I think probably under a lake, I mean, they found skeletons that are decades upon decades old. Uh, I think it really does depend on how deep the water is, how long a, right. a, a skeleton will last. I just, I just want to make sure we were all on the same Thank page you. there. Absolutely. Thank you. Because that would be the peace to be amongst those skeletons. Yeah. Must be so nice to feel. <laughs> Much like the peace of seeing last podcast on the left live. Uh, yeah, we're going to like be that. in Jacksonville, <laughs> the best city in Florida. I don't care what anybody says. Jacksonville Jaguars. What an incredible sure. city. We're going to be in Hotland on my old stomping grounds. Okay, we're going to gonna be in Memphis. This is all in two weeks from now. Come and see our fucking bullshit. Uh, we got Last Comic Book on the left. Check it out. Pre-order it on Z2. We're now cooking. I'm writing a little thing for it. Uh, Detective Popcorn it is it makes an appearance. He's funny Woo! as hell, and I'm very, very excited. Buttery goodness. Um, We've got Soul Plumber number six. Six is hitting the shelves mm -hmm. very, very soon. I can't believe that our adventure in, in, with DC is over for now. For now. For now. Yeah, it, it actually uh, comes out this Tuesday, uh, March 15th. Because remember, DC books come out on Tuesday for some fucking reason. So while we everything else comes you, out on Wednesday. We will see you next Tuesday. At the comic book store. <laughs> you know what that stands for? Absolutely. Well, I do. I, well, I do know that. And as I always say, I don't say that word, but although very often, sometimes I will call certain politicians that um, on mm. Able Against Top Hat. Check out that show. Uh, and of course, you know. Cunt watch. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's basically American politics at this point. CNN is just going to have uh, that kind of watch there very soon. Uh, a um, uh, Someone who's very mean with a lisp. But see you next Thursday, a cunt. That's mm. one of my favorite jokes there. Save it for the stage. I save it for the stage that's, that's kind of a go-to that's a classic kissel and yes mm -hmm. th thanks for supporting all the shows here on the last podcast network and thanks for everyone who calls in to open lines every monday at 4 p.m pst 7 p.m est that show has been so much fun it's been so great to hear from you all and um, uh, marcus's butthole is doing great marcus's colonoscopy went fantastic although he did say despite all the pooping a little turd was left behind 
there was still some in there. And I would say <laughs> that the notes in the notes from my doctor in the test results were a little passive aggressive, yeah. trying to say that I didn't take enough fucking Miralax, <laughs> that I didn't take my fucking Dolcolax, that I didn't fucking shit my Another brains out for two days. American pullout. That's yeah. what this is all about. Another botched this American is about pull Afghanistan. But that also just shows you. I did my you. goddamn best. I did. I drank all the shit. I took oh, the fucking. I did it all when I fucking had to. And still, even after I came out from under anesthesia, the first thing she told me was that there was still some feces in the colon. Oh, like, I, I don't know. I did the best I could. I did the best I could. That's what, that's what sounds like a real Grandpa Joe over there. Absolutely. <laughs> Screaming. Right, look here. Let me be clear. I did the best I could. Well, maybe they could try to turn the shit into gold. What do you call that when people do that? Alchemy. There Alchemy. Alchemy. Lead into gold, not shit into gold. No, I'm just saying, if you can turn lead into gold, you can turn shit into gold. Uh, we're not here to discuss alchemy. We're here to wrap up the show. <laughs> oh, we're going to not start a whole new episode? <laughs> One material is organic. The other material is inorganic. Yeah, and but it's also it's an allegory about. about your soul. It's Good an allegory <laughs> about changing the. Yeah. It's transmuting yourself. It's about receiving. It's about becoming one. Good thing they didn't find a bunch of lead in your colon. That would have been bad. All right, everyone. Well, yeah, thank I, you I, so much for listening. Yeah, I'd be dead. Hail yourselves, everyone. Hail Satan. Again. Magustalations, everyone. Hell me, man. Yeah. My butthole's still Teflon, man. Your butthole's doing great, Marcus's butthole is clean as. I didn't know why brand this morning. new. It was incredible. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> this show is made possible by listeners like you thanks to our ad sponsors you can support our shows by supporting them for more shows like the one you just listened to go to lastpodcastnetwork.com